0: Thanks Leah and David, that was wonderful, man. I was telling Leah this morning how blessed we are to have such talented people, and I was including her in that, I don't, and David, I don't know if they, if they recognize that or not, but, uh, but anyway, we are certainly blessed, and thank you guys for sharing testimony in the song this morning. We need somebody that can play a banjo. I could hear a bass line in that, and so anyway, we just got to, that's going to be a good knee clapper. I um, hope everybody had a good Christmas, Did you? Command not, yes? Awesome. I was telling Bethany last night, it was... Ours was really good. It was different than I expected. It was better than I expected, honestly. We were afraid that our in-laws were going to still be quarantined, and um, they were not. We still socially distanced outside, and it was cold, but there was a campfire, and it was fun. So it was it was very, very good. Um, I want to just take some time this morning to kind of lay out for for you guys what we're going to be doing over the next, I'd say, month or so. We're going to spend some time talking about some foundational things. We're going to spend the next few Sundays talking about uh, the role of an elder. Um, and we I know that many of you have been around long enough, you, you pretty well understand that, but we've got some newer people. I was talking with Leah and, and David this morning. They haven't been around for any of that, and it's good for us that that have been through uh, what it means to be an elder to just be reminded of the role. It's good for me as an elder to be reminded of my role and my responsibility in the church, and so I wanted us to take some time. We'll, we'll talk about, we're going to look today kind of at the historical and cultural context of what an elder is from the Old Testament moving into the New Testament, because understanding that's going to give us a better idea of of who we are supposed to be as elders, uh, and it helps you guys understand um, the role that we're we're called to fulfill. And and we'll talk about uh, in a few weeks from now. We've you know we had uh, we brought on deacons uh, when we were going through the Book of Exodus. The Lord spoke that through our text that it was time to do that. And so we'll look at the difference in those because being in a Southern Baptist church, a lot of Southern Baptist churches have deacons that kind of operate in the role of an elder. And so we just want to. Clearly communicate the differences in those and what Scripture is, has set up for both of those positions. So we'll kind of walk through all of that over the next few weeks. Um, and then, and, and we are going to get to the book of Hebrews, I promise. I know I've been talking about that for a while and we're still not there. Um, but I really, as I was praying about. Moving forward uh, into this next year, I just felt like God kind of laid out some plans for us. So on January the seventeenth, you can mark this on your calendar. I really want as many people here as possible. It's going to be kind of our state of the church address that we do every year, um, but really as a time for vision casting for us to to have an opportunity for, to hear from the Lord about what He has for us uh, as a church for the next year. So excited about that! So put that on your calendars. That's coming. Um, I do want to say, too, as we're, as we're talking about elders, that this can be a fairly long process. And I want you to know that our goal is not that by the, in the end of the next three weeks, we're going to add some new elders. Uh, if that's what the Lord has for us, then that's fine. Um, but I want you to know, I really appreciated that song this morning, Leah, and I, that last one. It, it spoke a lot to me. Just um, And I, you'll hear me say this some more today, but this is not a process that needs to be rushed right? The the people that lead our church are significant. We're going to see that as we kind of walk through the text. And so I want you guys to, to hear, the, hear me say that this morning, that while we are talking about elders, we do. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with us on that. We, I know we've got some guys who, um, who have been praying about that. And so we'll talk about that as we kind of dig a little deeper into this series. But uh, but anyway, I want to kind of give you a heads up on what to expect as we move forward. So um, we all know that eldership affects all of us, right? Because we're the, the elders... Um, are the ones that lead the church. And the people that are leading the church, uh, that are setting policy, that are making decisions, if they are good leaders who follow the Lord's direction, then you're going to have a pretty decent outcome. If they are not good leaders in terms of the fact that they don't listen to God and they're following their own directions, that's not a great course, right? And we've seen the effects of that. We see it in scripture and we've seen it in our lives, but to start talking about elders for us to, to really understand that I felt it was necessary for us to go back and start in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to start this morning in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so just be ready. If you got a paper Bible out, go ahead and lick your fingers, get them moist up because we're going to be flipping a lot, or you can get your finger out uh, on your phone and go that way, or you can just read on the screen, whatever is is good for you. But I wanted to start today with uh, kind of a, a brief introduction into the, the cultural and the historical context of what it means to be an elder, right? Because we don't, in our normal daily lives, outside of the context of the church, we don't think about elders a whole lot right now we might have some people in our lives maybe a grandparent or a parent that's much older than we are that we go to for mentoring but it's not the same that we see in the biblical context so what we see in scripture when it and when it refers to to an elder specifically um, starting in the book of genesis um, and pretty much through the rest of the bible we see elders as a person with an authority uh, that was entitled to the respect of the people Right there, someone who the people look to for decision-making, someone that the people trusted. Typically due to age and status of the family, a person is promoted to the place of, of an elder. Um, and this wasn't common just in Israel, but also in many other cultures surrounding Israel. We see mentioned, elders mentioned in Genesis 50 when Joseph, uh, you'll remember who was working for Pharaoh, goes to bury his father. It says this, then Joseph went to bury his father and all Pharaoh's servants... The elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt went with him. Okay, so we see right there in the beginning of the Bible that God is talking about this idea of elders. And it wasn't something that was just common for Israel, that this was a cultural thing in the, in the Far East. Okay, we see elders referred to as men holding and serving in, in a political role. In Numbers 22, 7, it says, The elders of Moab and Midian departed with fees for divination in hand, And they came to Balaam and reported Balak's words to him. These elders were the leaders of the people, and they served in the capacity, whether it was something localized just for their families, the people that lived underneath them, or on behalf of the people as whole. The elders kind of filled both of those roles. They led their families, but then they would also gather together as a group of elders and govern over all of the people. We see God tell Moses to go and gather the elders of the Hebrews in Egypt. When God presents himself to Moses on the mountain and tells him, go and set, tell Pharaoh to let my people go, his, his instruction first is to go to the elders of the people, um, the Hebrews that were enslaved in Egypt. And the reason for that is because Moses can speak to these elders and then it kind of assimilates down from there, right? They speak to the leaders of the community and those leaders then tell the people underneath them what they're to do and and remember they're not yet the tribes of Israel we don't we haven't gotten to that point yet that happens after they're freed from Egypt but still even though they're not divided in tribes yet there's still this idea of the elders in their family groups um and again these men held a place of authority in the lives of the people underneath them um one of the commentaries I read today, or this week, said the elders of Israel held a rank among the people indicative of authority, and Moses opened his commission to them. That's in Exodus three verse sixteen. We'll read just a second, and they attended Moses on all important occasions. Seventy of them attended on him by giving the law, and we'll look at that again in twenty four verse one. But Exodus three sixteen says, "Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them." The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to what, you have, what has been done to you in Egypt. So Moses also uses these men. He goes to them in, in, in chapter three and he says, look, the Lord has said this. I've seen what you're going through and I'm going to do something about it. And then Moses again calls on those men when he's presenting the law of God to people. And their participation, the participation of the elders does a couple of things. Most of all, The way those family units worked is, is if the elder said to do something, the people followed, right? This is not, I'm not going, hi, I'm an elder, y'all do what I say. That's not where I'm going with this. What I want you to see is that when the elders participated, when they received the law and said, this is something that we're going to do, that gave the people under them the permission and the encouragement to do likewise. Anytime something new and the law was new for them came about, if you got the support of the elders then you, it, would, it would move forward, right? Their affirmation gave people the encouragement to follow that. We see that in 24 verse one. And, uh, it says, then he said to Moses, go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 Israel elders and bow and worship at a distance. The elder was this keystone figure in the social and the political fabric of daily life for the nation of Israel and for surrounding countries. In all of these examples, these were men that were appointed by their families. They were decision makers in their families and if you wanted anything to take place, you had to go to the elder first and get their approval and then they would have their people follow you. And this, this dynamic is still very true in a lot of cultures around the world today. I was thinking about it as I was going through this, I went through a, a training class at the beginning of this year um, for what the fuel industry calls emerging network marketers. Um, and those are guys that are of uh, Far Eastern descent because their worlds operate differently than ours do. Like if you wanted to sell me something, you could come talk to me, and I might talk to my wife about it, I might not, but I can make that decision. In their cultures, you could come talk to me, but if I lived in their culture, I'm not the decision maker. I might act like I am, but I still have to get the permission of whoever my elder is. It may be my father, it may be my uncle, it may be my grandfather. And so for for me working in that culture, which is kind of new for us in the United States, understanding that culture allows us to be able to work within that context, right? And so for us as we're thinking about elders, we kind of need to get our minds in that place so that we can understand the role that they played in people's lives. Because again, like I said a while ago, it's not it's not something that we think about a whole lot. These these elders were relied upon for their wisdom, for their leadership, Uh, when Russ was introducing, I think it was the book of Exodus, and we talked about the patriarchs of a family, how all of the money would go to that patriarch, to that elder, and then he would distribute it amongst the family as it was necessary. And so we see those, they may not be bringing in all the money, but they're certainly controlling the outflow of it. So they had a very, very important role. And then people also look to them for justice. We see that happen over and over and over again in Scripture, where God or the people will bring forth the elders for their wisdom to, to settle a dispute, okay? And it was understood that these elders were gonna lead with the whole family in mind, right? That, that as they are making decisions, that they are doing what they believe to be best for the whole family, not for just one part of the family. There was no favorites to be played, right? We also see that, that this elder model was based around the family. There were some really important aspects of that that we need to understand. They were very, very family-oriented, And that's important because that relationship kind of is what made the whole thing work. They knew the elders, and they loved the elders, and the elders knew them, and they loved them. And so they cared for one another just like a father would care for his children, right? But it came from the top down. But this, this relationship was a key part of them being able to work in this way. But we look at, we'll move on now into kind of the the time between the Old and the New Testament, that the role of elders changed during during exile in Babylon. Something happened. Um, One of my commentaries this week said this, and this is not my idea, this is someone else's that I picked up on. It said, the office of elder survived the Babylonian exile, but not without change. As previously, elders were in positions of leadership, both in the homeland and in Babylon. In Ezra 10:14, we see that it says, Let your leaders represent the entire assembly. Let all those in our towns who have married foreign women come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of each town, in order to avert the fierce anger of our God concerning this matter. Now what's going on in the book of Ezra is, they they, they are living in exile in Babylon, and the Jewish men went out and married women that were not Jewish, which was against the law, Okay. Now, we're not going to get into all that today. That's not the point, but I wanted to give you the context around what's going on. But in order to to settle that matter with God, what do they do? They gather the elders up, okay, so that they can figure out how to deal with it. Because of war and the death that's involved with that, and then often in, in those times, whenever you would go in and you would conquer a country, you would take those citizens that were left and you would disperse them. You would scatter them. And so these tight family units that had existed before were now broken up, either because of death or because of separation of distance. And they did that because if you left those leadership structures in place, it'd be very easy for them to organize and to rebel and to revolt and to to free themselves. And so in order to subdue the people, they would purposefully scatter them. And so now we see this, this tight elder family relationship begin to break down. But in their minds, people were like, we need this, right? We need to have somebody that we can go to and, and can be this judge, can be this provider, can give us wisdom in how we deal with where we are. And so rather than each family having uh, an elder over them, what began to happen is things began to shift. And, and the people that were affluent, people that were in places of power politically, those people became the elders. And the problem with that is that there was this breakdown of the family unit, that, that bond that we talked about ago that was so important was lost because now instead of it being someone that I know and that I love and that knows me and loves me, it's just someone who happens to be in a place of power, and there's no relationship there. And so very quickly, we see the opportunity for, for that person who is in that place of power to seize that power for themselves and to use it to benefit those that they choose because there's no bond here other than the fact that we're of the same bloodline. We're the same culture. That's the only connection we have, but there's no longer that, um, that sense of duty, right, that you have for, for a family member. So the role of elder began to take a very different form. Um, and we see the effects of that in the entire New Testament. Now, I don't want to just say that, that all the elders in the New Testament were bad guys. Okay? I think that would be an unfair blanket statement. But the role of elder is a vital one. And when the position changed, so did the style. And I would say the quality of that leadership was different because those roles were break, broken down. We see in the New Testament that, that whenever we see the, the, the elders mentioned, especially during Jesus' ministry, y'all remember who they're lumped in with? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, right? And typically the language there was not positive. It was Jesus rebuking them for something. Let's look at some examples of those um, and then we'll, we'll kind of break that down from there. Matthew 21, 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Okay, we see the priests and the elders protesting against Jesus because he's a threat to their power, right? Here they are in this place of prestige, this place of power over people, and Jesus comes into the temple and begins to speak with authority, and they're threatened by that. They controlled everything, and Jesus showing up, and teaching things differently than they taught him, was messing that up. So let's let's continue on. Matthew twenty six, verse fifty seven. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away with Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Luke nine twenty two. Saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. Luke twenty two, sixty six. When the daylight came, the elders and other people, both the chief priest and the scribes, convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And then Acts 5, verses 5 through 10. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you. You see in the pattern? Over and over and over again we see in the New Testament that these elders, these people that were in this different role were abusing their power and they're standing against jesus right again it's very possible that many of the elders that were in that culture aren't mentioned in scripture because they weren't working against jesus right we very specifically are looking at the negative instances and again i don't want to make a blanket statement but we see that these men are mentioned because they're refuting the claim of christ as the messiah we do see that there were many that didn't like jesus stealing their thunder if you will you know, in our time in preparation for Christmas, we, we talked a lot about how Jesus came and he is the representation of God here on earth. He is a, a, like looking in a mirror. If you want to know the, the character and the person of God, you look at Jesus. It's important for us as we are thinking about eldership and what that means for us as a church and for us as a, as a people. It's, this is an important lesson for us to think about. Do we want people leading us that are concerned about themselves, that are threatened by people taking their power or stealing their thunder? Or do we want people that are going to be a representation of God? We're going to look next week, uh, we'll briefly look at it this week, but next week we're going to kind of dig into the qualification for elders. But we can see through these texts that there was something missing in the lives of these men that were in this place of eldership. Depending on your church history, um, you may have had some personal experience with that. I didn't grow up in churches where there were elders, but I certainly grew up in churches where there was leadership that was in it for themselves. I I was thinking about this this morning, that um, one of the first churches that I served at, we, you know, this was back in the days when contemporary services were just becoming a thing, right? And I grew up in a very traditional Methodist church, and so uh, we was having this big meeting to talk about our contemporary service. And so I was on staff at that church, and there were uh, several other staff representatives there and all of us gathered together, and we brought our ideas about what this service should be like. There was a lot of arguing, and there was a lot of finger-pointing, and we finally did something, and it wasn't great, and it didn't last long, okay? And, and looking back on that now, in the time, I could say, well, it's because we did so-and-so's idea, and it was a terrible idea. If you had done my idea, would have worked out a lot, whole lot better. You know, I was at the ripe age of like 19. You know, I knew everything. My point is, is that all of us, had, and you've, if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you've probably done this too, is you put together a plan and you're like, man, this is a great plan. Hey, God, I have this plan. Would you join me in this plan that I have? Instead of going the other way around. So when we talk about elders, we're not just talking about the older people in the church. We aren't just asking people to be elders based on worldly talents and gifting or wealth or position in society. We're asking God for godly men who he has called to lead the church. So let's look a little further into the early church and let's look at how elders were established within this new context. Okay? So let's look at Acts 6, 1 through 7. This is one that we're familiar with. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God, to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So after the Holy Spirit comes on the church, the church begins to just kind of explode, right? We, we see that when the Holy Spirit comes down, 3,000 people, 3,000 men, there's no telling how many women and children were there, received the Holy Spirit, and this new church is is growing right it's just kind of exploding and this text in acts doesn't use the specific word elder but if you look in the cross references in verse three it points you to first timothy chapter three verse seven where paul is listing the qualifications of elders and so here we have the apostle saying look there's some needs that need to be taken care of but our our role is to preach the gospel, is to tell people about who Jesus is. But there's something here, there's some leadership that needs to happen. Because remember, the church is brand new. It wasn't like the temple where there was this established hierarchy, which was kind of the point. But they knew that there was some leadership that is needed, and so they gathered together, and they, they appointed these men. So Luke's talking about appointing these men to make sure that the needs of the church are being met, that the church is being led. The Christian church was young, and they realized the need for this expanded leadership. The apostles knew that their role, their role was to preach the word. And we see a clear distinction between the role of some of the elders. In our bylaws, we have language that specifically distinguishes the difference between the fellowship of elders and the pastoral elder, which is me, in case that wasn't clear. Okay? We have equal, equal authority, okay? but there is a clear distinction. And I, I was talking with Leah this morning before we started. that That equal authority is significant for me personally. Because I don't, I don't want the weight of all the decisions, okay? I ain't that, I'm not that smart. I need some men around me who also know how to hear from the Holy Spirit so that we can do those things together. Having other elders allows me to focus on preaching and teaching the word and not having to think about all the other things that have to happen in order for the church to operate. We also have staff that fulfill those roles, but as I was kind of thinking through that, um, you know, a great example is like Aaron Slater. Uh, is one of our elders. And administration is just kind of his thing. He's good at it. God's gifted him in that. And that's kind of the role that he's taking on. And he works with Anna, one of our staff members, in order to accomplish those tasks. But I don't have to think about admin stuff because he's handling that. And admin can be a lot. But as a whole, we're all responsible for the oversight of the church. As you guys also know, Aaron and Glenn and Jeff, who are three of our elders, God has called to Colleen, so now it's just me and Ben. It's the Will and Ben show at the moment. We don't like it, okay? Ben more than me, because he might have to say something one day. He's back there grinning, but he ain't going to say nothing. All right? So according to our bylaws, this is part of the reason we're talking about it, we need a minimum of four elders uh, at our church, okay? Seven to eight would be fantastic, but we can operate with four. But I want you to understand that this is... um, it's important that we have elders that are called by God that are qualified to do that. We are not in a rush to fill spots, okay? That's when bad stuff happens, when you just go, ah, that guy and that guy and that guy. Let's do this. Then we've we've got a problem, okay? So elders play an important role in the life of our church, and establishing that leadership is really, really important, how we go about that. Look with me in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 through 23 says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see this new thing happening. We see that God is still using elders in people's lives, but how they attained that role was very different. Remember, in the beginning, elders were kind of, they were just born, right? You were born in the right position in the family line, and as you got older and other people that were above you died, congratulations, you're the elder now, right? But now we see something new happening. The apostles are being led by God to make disciples, which created churches. That's what a church is. It's a group of disciples, people who are following the Lord. And then they appointed elders. The Holy Spirit had them appoint elders to lead those churches. And they would pray over them and then entrust the church to these men that God had appointed. Okay? And so the, the apostles are, are going out. They're going all over that part of the world. And they're making disciples. They're gathering together and say, okay, you guys are a church. And then they would pray and ask the Holy Spirit. They would appoint elders and then say, okay, guys. Good luck. Y'all are in charge now. Now, they would check back in. And that's where all our epistles come from, right, is Paul and the other apostles writing to, the, to these new churches and giving instructions, but they trusted those churches in the hands of these elders, okay? Um, let's look at, at Titus. This is another great example. It's Titus 1, chapter, 5, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. This is Paul. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what I what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. Okay, let me pause and make sure everybody's on the same page. So Paul is writing to Titus and saying, this is why I left you in Crete. I left you here to appoint elders over the churches. And then he goes on in verse 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. An overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able, to, able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. Nobody likes those guys. It's necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Okay, so Paul's reminding Titus of why he's there. He's saying, look, man, this is really important because we've got people who are teaching things falsely and they're doing it so they can line their own pockets. So you're there to pray and to find these men that God has set aside to lead this church. Okay, Titus was tasked with finding and appointing godly men that knew Christ and would follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We see God using a well-established leadership model, but in a new way. And so for us, we want to talk about what, what eldership is. God established elder leadership in the church because he wanted it to be men who would follow him rather than men who would seek their own passions, their own desires. Again, the new church is established, and Paul leaves Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every town. And by every town, he means churches, Okay. God's building up the body of Christ by putting godly people in the roles of elders. And looking at the qualification of elders, we see many of the same characteristics that would have, been, would have been true of these men in the Old Testament. The role of the elder was moving back towards what it was intended to be. While they were coming about in a very different way, God was making a shift and putting these men in charge of the church that had those specific qualifications. God was using a concept that was common and understood in their culture to establish leadership that would lead the church to follow God. No longer was a person given status based on age, familial, familial status, uh, wealth, or political status. The apostles chose these elders through prayerfully fasting and the testimony of how they lived their lives. They needed to know as they put brand new churches under the leadership of, of believers that they were men that represented Christ well. Look at verse six through nine with me again about these qualifications. It says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. An overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he would be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. Listen, the apostles knew firsthand that no one but Christ was perfect, right? And so as we look at these qualifications, when I look at those qualifications, I can just go, yep, I ain't got that one. Yep, I ain't got that one. It's not going, yep, I got it. Mm -mm. All of us have sin in our lives. But what what we're looking for, what God is looking for is men who, who are striving to be those things. When I look at that list, that's the kind of people I want in charge of my life people that are sensible, people that are hospitable, people that are kind, people that are striving to be holy. We need people that are able to lead the church with wisdom, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, and to be able to protect the church. This was and is an incredibly big, big responsibility, and I want you to know that it's not something that I or any of the other elders take lightly. This is a big deal. I've been part of churches that didn't have Leadership that was about pursuing the Holy Spirit and I've I've lived through that and I'm not interested in doing it again Okay, it's our responsibility as elders to be the under shepherd. God's the shepherd of his church and we follow his direction in leading it So TGP has been around for about 10 years and what is Significant to me is the incredible fellowship and holy unity that we experience and that's because of two things number one is we have Um, men that are 100% devoted to following God, to doing what God tells us to do. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back because I've only been an elder for about three years, okay? So I might be screwing it up. We'll find out in another seven or so, okay? I don't think I am because I'm trying to do what God's calling me to do, all right? What I want to point out is that since God told us to plant the first church, there's been men in leadership whose sole desire is to just be obedient to God. We joke about it all the time, but when we have votes of affirmation in our church, they've always been 100% in agreement with what the elders have presented. And this happens because the elders don't move on anything until all of us are in agreement. There's been times where we've been praying and talking about something and we're not in agreement. And so we just hit the pause button until God begins to speak some more and reveals what he's trying to do. That's important for us. And secondly, our members are praying for us and also asking God before they vote on anything. A great example of that is this budget right here. We're going to vote on this later today. No pressure on 100% record. But, <laughs> but here's what I'm pointing out is that, that we prayed about this. This is something that we worked on together. And so far, I've had zero questions. I don't know if you're just not asking them or if you don't have any, but when we vote on these things, it's, we're not just putting some numbers on a page and throwing them out there and going, I think this will work. It's something that we've prayed about, that we've worked on together, and we've involved God in that process, not just did it and then asked Him to come be a part of it on the back end, okay? And if we're all asking God what to do, He's going to tell us all the same thing. Glenn used to always use the example of a tuning fork. If we're all tuned to the same tuning fork, we're all going to be in the same key, Right? If we're all listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not confusing. He is the author of peace and perfection, and he's going to lead us all to the same place. This has been, church, this has been significant for me and my personal growth. Because for a lot of years, I would read the New Testament. I would read about the the early church, and I would look at the churches that I was part of, that I was on staff at, that I was part of the leadership at, and go, these things don't line up. And I didn't know what the problem was. And the problem was is that we weren't pursuing the Holy Spirit. We were pursuing our own passions and our own desires. Being under the leadership of a group of elders who follow God showed me that what I read in the New Testament is actually possible because I'm seeing it role modeled in front of me. It was because of their leadership and because of the membership of the church that was pursuing the same goals that, that we were able to see that doing church was a real thing like it could operate in the way that I read it in the New Testament. And that for me has been significant, very, very significant. It's been an incredible blessing to experience, like I said a while ago, this holy unity that comes only through following God. And so as we are thinking and praying about elders, I want us all to be on the same page of understanding the level of responsibility. Like when I think about it for me personally, it is overwhelming. But what makes it bearable is, A, I know that the Holy Spirit is going to guide me. Because he's proven that over and over and over again. But secondly, B, <laughs> A, and second. The second thing is, the second reason is that I know that there are men that do that with me. That have that same purpose, that same passion. So when we're thinking about, when we're praying about eldership, I want us to all be on the same page of, of the fact that it is a big, big deal. Next week, um, and maybe the next, we're going to look at the qualifications of an elder. Okay? And I want, I want to ask you guys to be praying this week about speaking to the men that God is preparing for us to have as elders. Because that's a big deal. God has, he, those bylaws that we have, we didn't just come up with those. It's like everything else. The elders who established that prayed. And they looked at the, the scripture and they said, okay, how many people do we need in order to do this right? Okay? And so the, the, the thing that the Lord spoke is a minimum of four okay right now it's just me and Ben so we need two more at least could be more than that I don't know but I want you guys to begin to pray for who God would have lead in those roles and kind of the way this works just so you know is is and we'll talk about what it means to aspire to be an elder next week because we see that in scripture um, we'll talk specifically about what that means because like if you'd asked Ben right now if he aspired to be an elder he would tell you no right Okay, Ben was not interested in being an elder. But aspiring to be an elder, when I read that, when I think about that, is it's someone who aspires to live the way those qualifications are laid out. If, if a person is gung-ho about just being in leadership, they're probably not ready because they're in it for the wrong reasons. So as you're praying and as you're thinking, I'm not asking you to, to just nominate some names right off the bat. We may get to that point at, at some point. But I want you to be looking at these qualifications and asking the Holy Spirit to speak. To speak to you or to speak to the men that he's calling to that role. Okay? And as we kind of walk through this, if I don't cover something or if you have a question, please come ask me because I want us to all understand biblically from a biblical standpoint. Mark, I'll get to you later of, of where we are. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for, for this church family. Especially like it's just it's such a blessing uh, to have a Mark raise his hand in the middle of this. God, because it feels, this feels like a family, which is the way that you have intended it. God, I, I know that when I mispronounce people's names uh, from scripture or places, that my family loves me anyway. God, it, this, this idea of church that you have given us is absolutely incredible. And Fathers, we are praying about leadership for the future God I'm asking that you would speak very clearly to all of us that but for those men that you are calling to eldership God if they are um, uneasy about that the God that you would give them peace that that uneasiness is probably a good thing it's probably a sign that it is time God, I'm asking that you would guide us as we go through this process, Father, that you would protect our church, that you would only have the people that you are calling to be in leadership and leadership so that this church can be who you have called it to be. God, we want your leadership. We want people over us that are going to pursue you, that that would be their goal, that they would have no agenda other than knowing you. God, prepare us, prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and stand.